of all, thank you to everyone who helped fill eggs last week. We filled 4,600 eggs. Yeah. And it took a long time. So it, yes, give them a round of applause, please, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was awesome. Imagine if I had to do that all by myself. We would still be doing that. So thank you for doing that. Um, my son Judah is in kindergarten, and he, when he started school, he's at recess one day, and he's talking to his teacher with another little friend. And he says to his teacher, he says, do you know Jesus? And his teacher's like, yes, Judah, I know Jesus. And the little boy next to him goes, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? That's kind of sad, right? You all know Jesus. I don't know if you know Jesus, but you know Jesus, right? We probably know someone who doesn't know Jesus. Okay, so hold this up. It's a simple invite. It is a simple invite that you can give to either your neighbors, a family member, someone at work. We all know someone who has kids, right? So I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Pray for someone today. Pray for someone. Say, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me who do I need to give this to, okay? Because our heart's desire is for this church to grow. And Saturday, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity given to us. We're opening our doors, asking people to come in. We are going to stuff you with all this bad stuff, but we're going to tell you about Jesus. Okay, because it's not just a hunt. We're not just going to come in, hey, go get the candy, hope, hope you see Jesus somehow. We are going to tell them the truth about Easter. Okay, and we're going to give them an opportunity to come the next Sunday. We're going to pass out Bibles. We're going to pass out verses. So I need you. I need you here. If you have a family, if you are inviting someone, please commit to them. Come at 1030. But if you are not, we need all hands on deck. Okay, we need lots of help. And I also want to let you know that this, this is a church thing. This isn't my thing again. So I've said this before. So, so I'm going to ask you when you come, put on a name tag and own it. Even if you've not done anything to help, when people come into this door, they are coming into our house, okay? And we want to welcome them and we want to love them, okay? So own it. We also are going to have a prayer room available, okay? Some of you have signed up to pray. If you've not signed up to pray, that's okay. It'll be there, and if you feel led, please go in there and pray. You don't have to pray for the whole two hours. You can pray just for a little bit. But we want to cover this event with prayer because the enemy does not want it to happen. He does not want the truth to be told. He wants to deceive people, lie to them, discourage them, whatever. Okay, and we don't want that. Our best weapon is prayer. Also, if you've not yet signed up to help, that's okay. We're taking anybody right now, okay? So if you can, be there 8.30 Saturday morning. I will be here on Friday to set up. If that's something that you would like to do, because 8.30 on Saturday won't work, come see me and we'll figure something out. Thanks. You give and take away. You give and take away My heart will choose to say Lord, blessed be your name God, we're here this morning in your presence and we ask that you would turn our fear into gratitude that you would turn our complaining into thankfulness that you give and you take away. But this morning we will be able to say, blessed be your name because you are the God of the universe that saved us from our sin and our guilt. Speak through Austin now, straight to our hearts, Lord, that the truth would reign in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.
perfect song to introduce this particular message. You give and you take away. This past week, uh, we rejoice with the Clarksons. Karen gave birth to a baby girl, Emery, uh, on, was it Friday or Saturday? Friday, it was Friday. I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you. I, I was hoping for the name Georgiana or uh, Deandra or uh, Melvina, but, you know, none of, those, none of those names won out as he was posting on Facebook, you know, trying to figure out what the name of his uh, daughter was going to be. Apparently, that's reference to Iowa State basketball players. I, I, I think I can confirm that's why he was looking at that, but uh, we rejoice with the Clarksons this morning. Uh, from what I understand, both mom and baby are doing excellently well, and uh, we do rejoice with them in, in the gift of life. What a beauty and what a, what a joyful thing it truly is. I've titled the message this morning, Trusting God When It Makes No Sense. And before, I, before we get into looking at uh, Genesis 22 and the life of Abraham and Isaac, I want to I share something with you in, in my own life that I have to just say, trusting God when it makes no sense. Um, many of you have probably heard by now, some of you in here may not have heard, uh, but I will be resigning my position um, at, at, as principal of the school that I'm at, um, effective June 30th, uh, this, this school year. So I don't know what that looks like for my family. Uh, the Lord has not uh, given me another venture yet, but I know there's another kingdom assignment that the Lord has in store for me and my family. And all I can say is I'm trusting God right now when it seems to make no sense at all. Why would I resign a position? I don't have a job yet. I don't know where I'm going. Uh, but if you would pray for the Temperley family, we, we would definitely covet those prayers. I have no idea if the Lord is going to keep us in the Des Moines area. We love this area. We love being back home in Iowa. Uh, and if the Lord would choose to keep us in Iowa, that would be fantastic. But uh, if not, we will find our next kingdom assignment, and we will, be, um, we will be passionate about it, and we will serve Him wherever He chooses to lead us. If you would turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. And when you get there, if you would close your eyes for just a moment. When you get there, close your eyes for just a moment. We're in Genesis 22. I want you to think about something for me. So close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to think of your most valuable possession other than God. It might be a person. It might be family. It might be uh, an, an object. It might be a material possession that you own. But think about that, your most valuable possession And now think about what if God asked you to give that most valuable possession up? What if God asked you to sacrifice that item? What if God said, I want that item back for myself? How would you react? Something that's brought you comfort, something that's brought you joy, something that you admire, something that you love, or somebody that you love. What if God said, I want you to give it? away. Could you do it? Would you do it? Would it be difficult? How would you respond? 
What would your attitude be? Would you question? What if God was asking you to do that? What if God was testing you in your faith to prove your unfailing love for him? And you can open your eyes. We live in, we live in a country in, in America where it's a pretty posh lifestyle. And we don't have to think about that uh, very often. We go about our business, and a lot of times we just go through the motions in this country. It, it's not that much of a sacrifice to put our faith in Jesus Christ in this country, at least not yet. We still have opportunities to worship God freely, and a lot of times God doesn't ask us, you know, to sacrifice that item unto him or to give it back to him. But what if we were forced to? What if our most valuable possession, what if God did ask us to give it back to him? That blessing that he gives, and the song says, he, may take, he takes away. Some people around the world have to make that decision. Some people have to make that decision. Do I, do I commit my life to Christ? Do I outwardly speak it, or do I not? In fact, this morning, read an email. my wife read an email to me from, from some missionaries in, a, in another country, and you can figure out the country, I'm sure. But their um, Bible study teacher was thrown in prison because their curriculum that they were using in, in, in their um, early ed program talked about Jesus, and that person landed in prison as a result of it. The particular government is cracking down on instruction about Jesus and people talking about Jesus. Would you commit your life to such a work? If you were that missionary friend who wrote that email, would you consider leaving the country to go back to a place that's free, or would you stay the course, and would you continue to preach the gospel to people that are lost? How would you clandestinely continue to minister and preach the gospel in such a country without wavering, doing what God has called you to do. And as we open up Genesis 22 this morning, we're going to read it in just a, just a minute. We don't often visualize what Abraham went through, the decision that Abraham had to make. You know, that's one of those books in Genesis, you know, one of those chapters in Genesis, one of those passages, one of the truths in Genesis. But you know, we don't, we don't hit on Genesis very often. But this morning we're going to unpack and we're going to discover what it was all that Abraham had to go through in his roller coaster journey of life and all that God called him to do in obedience to him. So, Genesis 22, let's pick it up in verse 1. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, 
here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Father, we thank you for the faith of Abraham. We thank you for his commitment to worshiping you and following humbly after his God. Father, I thank you for the journey and the sojourning that you placed his life on in the trajectory that you established for him to go and walk in. Father, I just pray that you would enrapture our hearts by your spirit, that you would give us great confidence and boldness to approach your throne, knowing that we have a good God, that you are a good God, you are a holy God, you are a just God, you are a righteous God who has a perfect plan that in the midst of chaos, and craziness of this life, we can trust you even when it makes absolutely no sense that you would do the things that you do. But Father, give us confidence. Help us to understand what it means to be redeemed. Help us to understand what it means to be bought back at a price. And Father, help us to always walk in the truth that you've laid before us. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. In case you weren't here last week, we started a four-week series on redemption, and Nick outlined a fantastic definition, and I don't know about you, but that definition has, has weighed on my heart this week. I've thought about it, and if you don't remember it, I just want to read it to you one more time. It says, with the price of Jesus' life for us, he bought us back out of slavery to sin and death to the original state that God created man price of Jesus' life for us. He bought us back. God redeemed us. We were valuable enough in our wickedness and our filthiness. God bought us back. We were considered worthy enough 
to be bought back. And he did that for us to the original state that God created man, which was in perfect fellowship, which was in perfect harmony. Remember Nick talked about not even being aware that they were naked. There was no shame. And if you've listened to Nick preach over the years, you know that one of the things Nick talks about is that shame. That shame comes from us striving and trying to do it on our own apart from God. And when we try to do it apart from God, we struggle, we fail, we falter, and then we understand that we're naked, and then we understand that, 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 that that's shameful because we're trying to strive on our own. But God has redeemed us. He has bought us back by his blood. Well, as we, what I want to do is unpack a little bit about why Abraham was so willing and so able to trust in God, even though it looked like he was going to have to commit to losing his only son. If you go back to Genesis 12 with me, follow with me if you would. Genesis chapter 12. We need to go back a couple of chapters here in the, in the journey of, of Abraham. Abraham, as we all know, was from the land of Ur. And Abraham was asked, his family was asked to leave and move northwest into the land of Haran. Or Haran, I'm sorry. And he's living in the land of Haran. And in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 it's cool that it's awesome that Abraham spoke with God and talked with God and had these conversations with God. And, and even in that moment, we're going to see when he was about to sacrifice his son, God was talking to him through, through I believe, his son, Jesus Christ. But here's what, uh, here's what the Lord said to Abraham. By the way, before Abraham was Abraham, he was called Abram. And his wife, Sarah, before she was called Sarah, was known as Sarah, was Sarai. So I'm going to refer to him as Abraham and Sarah just for simplicity's sake. Uh, as we go. But it says, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here we are back in, in, in Genesis 12, and God is speaking, communicating to Abraham, and he says, oh yeah, by the way, you're in Haran, but I want you to leave. I want you to go to Canaan, which is going to be southwest then. So he's, he, goes from, you know, he goes from southeast of where he is up to Haran, and then he goes uh, southwest. That God, he's, God says, you need to go to the land of Canaan. And Abraham's not a spring chicken at this point. He's, he's about 75 years old. His wife is 10 years younger, 65 years old. And God says, you need to go. And by you going, I will bless you. In fact, I will, bless, I will make your name great. I'll bless the nations. Those that bless you will be blessed. Those that curse you will be cursed. You need to go and do this. Go out from among your relatives. Go out and go where I'm calling you to go. And I need you to do this, Abraham. And here we see Abraham then venturing out and going. He was probably comfortable where he was. He was, you know, he was in a good place. But the Lord says, go. I'll bless you if you go. Go and do this. And Abraham listened to the voice of God, and he did. He left and went. Now, his sojournings weren't always great. I mean, we see Sodom and Gomorrah in the midst of this. We see some passage through some rough land, and Abraham it wasn't always perfect in how he talked about his wife and, and things like that. But God spoke to Abraham and said, go. And Abraham went. He said, I will bless you. I'll make you the father of many nations. Well, fast forward a couple of chapters. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. 
Genesis chapter 15 is where we have a great picture of what God had promised to Abraham. Genesis 15, God's going to promise Abraham a son. And this is what he says in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abraham is getting this picture of, okay, you're going to bless me. You've told me all these things are going to happen. The father of many nations, and so on and so forth. What's going to happen? I mean, my wife Sarah is barren. And for those of you who thought that generations were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years back in the Old Testament because people lived so long, it wasn't. It wasn't. Abraham was 75 years old at this time, and his wife had no children. And that was considered old to not have a child at this, to not have a child at this uh, particular time. He says, I'm childless. And Abraham said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir, kind of a, a servant in his house. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. Whoa. Okay, God, you've told me to move. I've moved. You told me you're going to bless me. Okay, I get that. Now you're telling me I'm going to have a son. I, I get that. There's going to be an heir. That's great. Maybe it's, maybe God, maybe it's my maidservant's son. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe the, No, no. Abraham, no, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham's like, okay, well, but Sarah's barren. She, we're childless. We have no heir. Okay, well, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. Come outside with me. I want you to look up into the sky, and I want you to count all of the stars that are in the sky. And he says, those will be your descendants. And we read in just the next verse of the next two verses here, it says, and God counted him as faithful as righteous at that point. He believed God. Abraham, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I believe it. It's going to happen. Well, God's timing is not always our timing, right? So for 10 years, Abraham's living with this promise. Year one goes by, year two goes by, year three, year eight, year nine, year 10 goes by, still no offspring. And Sarah's getting older and older and older. She was probably already on the cusp of, come on, by now you should have had a child if you were going to be able to have a child. And so Sarah comes to Abraham. We all know the story, the passage. Sarah comes to Abraham and says, hey, why don't you just go into my maidservant Hagar? And, and, and maybe that's what God meant. Maybe the promise was, it said through your body, so maybe it's through you, but maybe it's not through me. Abraham, being foolish in this moment, listened to his wife and said, yeah, maybe that's the case. And so, now, again, this, you have to understand, too, that this wasn't extremely uncommon in those days for people of authority and power to have an heir to pass on, to, to continue your name. But God had promised Abraham that a son was going to come from his body. And so he does. He, he goes and has relations with Hagar, and the moment that he does... Sarah despises Hagar, just absolutely hates her, can't stand her, like physically attacks her and abuses her and has, wants nothing to do with this, with this lady. The decision that she thought was from God wasn't from God. It was her own desire to say, okay, let's speed up the process of God. It's been 10 years now. You're 85, I'm 75, we're not having any children, so let's 
speed up the process a little bit here. Got to the point where Hagar actually left for a while. I was like, man, I can't take this anymore. Comes back, does end up pregnant, does end up having a child, and we know that child's name is Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the child of the promise. You see, Ishmael was conceived outside of the context of what God had intended for Abraham to have a child and to be his offspring. Didn't mean that Abraham didn't love Ishmael. Didn't mean that Abraham didn't want the best for him. But Ishmael wasn't the child of the promise. He was, you know, there's, you know, who is Ishmael? And, you know, obviously Islam takes Ishmael as kind of the, the, the descendant, the promise, so that kind of deviates with Ishmael, whereas we would say Isaac was then the, the blessing. Muslims would say that Ishmael was, was the blessing and so on and so forth. But it, it hurt Abraham to send Ishmael away, but he did. Because his wife, Sarah, couldn't stand Hagar, couldn't stand to see him. And after Isaac was born, you know, she had observed Ishmael mocking Isaac. And she's like, no, done, 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 done. He's gone. Get him out of here. Abraham listened to his wife and said, fine, we'll give him resources. We'll give him what he needs. God will bless Ishmael in, in the way that he will. He'll be, a, he'll be a, many nations will follow after him, but he's gone. And he's out of the picture. Because Ishmael wasn't the child of the promise. He wasn't the heir that the descendants would come from that would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It wasn't Ishmael. It was Isaac. So turn ahead to chapter 18. Turn ahead to chapter 18. So in chapter 18, then, God confirms. First to Abraham. He says, Abraham, you're going to have a child. You're 99 years old, but you're going to have a child. And so what does Abraham do? He laughs at God. <laughs> yeah, right. God goes to Sarah and says, oh yeah, by the way, this time next year, you're going to be with, you're going to have a baby. What does Sarah do? She laughs at God. Yeah, right. You have got to be kidding me. We're getting old. Abraham's 99 years old. Sarah's 89 years old, about to have her first child. Women, can you imagine having your first child at eight, 90 years old? Because it would have been a year from then. 90 years old having your first child. That was old back then even. So don't think that it wasn't. Because she laughed at God. She's like, I'm way past childbearing. I'm not going to have a child. No way. Interestingly enough, God comes back and says, why'd you laugh, Sarah? Her response, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. <laughs> Sarah, come on. God is talking to you. Why are you lying to him? You know, the fear, fear, it says the fear gripped her, and she, you know, she said, I wasn't laughing. Yeah, you were. You were laughing. But here's an interesting thing, too, about the name Isaac. The name Isaac means he laughs. That's what it means. God has a sense of humor, I think. It means he laughs, which, which also meant that every time that Abraham and Sarah would call out the name Isaac, you know, their child, every time they would hear the name Isaac, they would be reminded that this is utterly foolishness apart from God working. I mean, they thought, yeah, right, there's no way that we're going to have a child. And yet they did. And Isaac 
was the one, the miraculous one, if you will, the unique one, the chosen one, the heir that God had promised in the natural marriage relationship between Abraham and Sarah, the child of blessing, the child of promise that was going to be the heir that was going to pass on the lineage, if you will, that those stars and those sand by the seashore would be counted. And that was going to come through this precious little child, Isaac. Can you imagine the joy that flooded Sarah's soul when Isaac was born? Can you imagine the joy on Abraham when he realized that, oh my God, you are who you say you are. You've told me that I'd be a father of many nations. You told me you would bless me. You told me to leave this place. You told us we would have a child of the prom and it would come from you in a year from now. And it happened. Wow. I think at that point, I'd be like, okay, God, yep. I think I got you figured out. And that's probably a little bit what Abraham was like. Yep, God, probably got you figured out. Here we go. You've said what you're going to do. I'm just an open book. I'm trusting you. I'm going to do exactly what you ask me to do because I know you are who you say you are and I and I'm kind of sarcastic in that point right here because I don't think I would still get to that point I think when God speaks to me and tells me things I don't always listen I don't always want to do what God tells me to do I don't always want to listen to the voice of God I still want to interject my way I still want to do things my way but Abraham was communing with God Abraham was different. Go to chapter 22 and let's camp in our text then. Look at verse 1. I don't know if you write in your Bible, I do. I would, I would underline something here if, if I were you. It says, now it came about after these things that, in my Bible it says, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. God doesn't test people. Oh, yes, he does. Absolutely, he does. Absolutely, he does. God tested Abraham. It wasn't a testing into temptation to lead him astray and to lead him into sin. It's not like God is saying, hey, why don't you go dabble with drugs and alcohol and all this and that, and, and then, you know, yeah, we'll see if you can still hang on to me. No. God wanted to prove the faith of Abraham, and so he says, God tested Abraham. Abraham. God did the same thing with Job and Satan who wanted to attack. God allowed Satan to try to attack him. God allowed that testing to take place for he knew that his servant Job was righteous. But here we have God testing Abraham. Listen to the test. Listen to the test. I don't know if you noticed it when I read, but three times in this passage, Abraham says, here I am. Here I am. When Isaac talks to him, here I am. Here I am, God. Don't slay your son. Here I am. Think of Elijah doing the same thing. Here I am, Lord. Send me. This is what God tells him to do in verse 2. Take now your son. Here's, it's very important, these next words. Your only son right? Your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. What? His only son? He had other sons. Yeah, I know, but this was the son of the promise. 
this was the son given to the barren womb who couldn't have children, the heir of the promise. God says, I want you to go up to Mount Moriah and I want you to offer as a burnt offering your only son, whom you love. Whom you love. And I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. God, you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious? You want me to sacrifice my son, who's the heir of the promise, whom you've told me will be the blessing that will continue from generation to generation? Are you serious? That, God, you're asking me to sacrifice my only son, that you are the one that really conceived and allowed for us to have this child? That's the plan you want for me, God? And what, is, what does Abraham say? <laughs> so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering, arose, went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, a long journey, three days to be going, with these two men, with all this wood, with the, with the, with the transportation. They're going to sacrifice. Abraham is taking three days. He's going to sacrifice his own and only son whom he loves. Abraham said to the men, stay here. Stay here with the donkey. Stay here. Stay here. Because what does he say? He says, I and the lad are going to go up on that mountain and we're going to worship. But what does it say next? And we will return. What? You're going to go sacrifice your son, Abraham. You two stay here with the donkeys, with everything else. We're going to go up to the mountain and worship. And then we're going to come back. I don't know where he got the strength. I don't know where he got the fortitude. I don't know where he, I don't know how Abraham understood God in a way that I can only, I dream, I long, I, I pray for the faith that Abraham had. And I know in Hebrews, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how he probably believed, Abraham probably believed that he was going to sacrifice his son and that he would. But that God would raise him up again. You know, sacrifice, sacrificing people, that's weird. God's not like that. But that's what God told him to do. You know, and he really believed that he was going to go up to that mountain and worship with his son. And however he believed it, he believed that God would bring them both back. Raising him from the dead is how it's interpreted in Hebrews most likely what that would look like. If you want to, you can, Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, if you want to write it down for later, you can look up those verses and as it talks about that a little bit more. So they walk up the mountain. <laughs> Verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, My father, here I am, my son. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? God will provide. God will provide. His son wasn't five years old. His son wasn't two years old. His son wasn't ten years old. It's probably likely that his son was in his 20s. We don't know exactly how old he was. He didn't have any children yet 
at this point. But he's about to take his son, and his son is just, God will provide. Okay, he says God will provide. God will provide. Abraham says God will provide. And, but Isaac doesn't see a lamb. He doesn't see a sacrifice. Furthermore, they get to the place where they're going to go worship, and Abraham's binding his son to be sacrificed. Abraham gets the knife ready to go to sacrifice his only son, right? It's his only son. This is, you have to understand that, yes, there was Ishmael, yes, but this is his only son. He pulls the knife about ready to sacrifice his son as the Lord had told him to do. And then I believe Jesus Christ himself I don't think I'm in the minority with that. Comes out, it says, an angel of the Lord. An angel in that term was kind of a messenger, one who came. I really believe it's God speaking himself, and the mouthpiece of God is generally Jesus. So that's my rationale for thinking that this is probably Jesus himself who, who spoke to, to him. But look at what it says in verse 12, or 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! Remember, once again, he says, here I am. <laughs> I'm here to do your beck and call. I'm here to do your business. I'm here to do, I'm your servant. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God. And this is why I believe this is Jesus. He says, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. From me. You have not withheld your only son from me, from God himself. Can you imagine the relief on Abraham at this point? Can you imagine, like, Isaac's probably like, what's going on here? What? What? God? What? What's going on? Oh, and by the way, God says, there's going to be a ram in the thicket right over there that's caught by its horn. I want you to take that. Something needs to be sacrificed. I want you to take that innocent ram who didn't, <laughs> didn't do anything. It just mysteriously appears. God will provide. Take that ram. I want you to sacrifice that ram. And I want you to, and then you're going to go ahead and call this place. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Probably a little different than Abraham thought it would go. But the Lord will provide. So what do we take away from this passage about redemption? I hope you can hear how similar this is to the love of the Father that he had for the Son and how God will provide. But there's a couple of points I want you to take away. One, if you go back to verse 2, it talks about your only Son whom you love. This is the first time in the Bible that the word love is used. This is the first time in the Bible that the word love is used. And usually, John MacArthur says this, usually when the word is used for the first time in Scripture, it gives us a taste or a picture of how that word is to be used moving forward. Well, take your only son whom you love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Abraham had an immense love for his son. And he turned around and was willing 
take him to the cross. Second point is this, in verse 5. Again, I don't know if you're an underliner in your Bible, but I'd, you know, I, I'd underline love. And I would underline in verse 5 the word worship. Because this is the first time in, in the Bible, too, that we see the word worship. Oh, I long for the intense devotion that Abraham had. His willingness to go worship his God and do the things that his God had asked him to do. Wait, you want me to leave Haran, and you want me to go to the land of Canaan? Okay. You want to give me a child? Okay. You, wanna, you then want to have my wife get pregnant and have that child at, at 100 years old? Okay, then you want me to take my 20-something-year-old son, and you want me to sacrifice him, who he doesn't even have offspring yet, and, and you're going to bless me? And, and yet he did, and yet he followed, and yet he was obedient. You two wait here. The lad and I are going up to the mountain to worship God, and we will come back together. Oh, Creekside, for the passion to love God as Abraham loved his son and as God loved his son Jesus, and the faith to worship God, knowing that he could ask us to do some pretty radically amazing things to do. I shudder sometimes because I'm not sure we realize the gravity of what God could ask us to do in this place. Abraham was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. It's interesting the place that he went, the land of Moriah. It's kind of a mountain range. Believe it or not, Mount Moriah is Jerusalem area. Believe it or not, Jerusalem area is where Christ was crucified at Calvary. So the same mountain area range that Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, where God provided a ram in the thicket, is the same place. (laughs) Jerusalem, it's the same place where Christ was crucified at Calvary. The same region, the same area. Cool little side note in that. And then the other thing that I would want us to take away from this is this. God provided another way. God provided a sacrifice. God provided an innocent ram to take and to be that offering and to be that sacrifice so that Isaac didn't have to be sacrificed. And God did that. God did that through his son, Jesus Christ. He provided us a way of escape. He provided us the means so that we don't have to stand up under our our own sin but that we can be forgiven, we can be redeemed, we can be bought back in the same way. That innocent ram in the thicket took the, punish, the, the sacrifice that needed to be made. God sent his own son who knew no sin, who then became sin so that we could have eternal life. It's an amazing thing. There's a couple of questions that, that I think I want to ask to each of you and as the band makes their way back to the stage. A couple of questions that I think we all have to answer and you need to answer these questions in light of what you've heard this morning, in light of what you know about God, in light of maybe what you don't know about God. Heather said, I know everybody in here knows Jesus, but does everybody in here know Jesus? Because here's a couple of questions that I think are so important that we need to ask. One, is there a God? Two, if there is, is he for us? Three, is there more to life than just pain and suffering and chaos and turmoil and education and degrees and income and jobs, retirement, and then death? Did God send his son to die in my place for the sins that I've committed? Do I believe it? Do I believe it? 
Do I love God and do I want to worship Him? Today, you can experience the love of God, maybe for the first time, maybe in a way that draws you closer to Him. But just to remember, we worship the exact same God that Abraham worshiped, that Isaac worshiped, that Jacob worshiped, that Moses worshiped. We serve the same God that Paul worshiped, that John worshiped, that Peter worshiped, that James worshiped. And the unity, the common bond that we have is the blood of Jesus Christ who washes away our sins by the innocent sacrifice who became sin so that we could have eternal life. We're going to enter into a time, we're going to break the bread, and, which symbolizes the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, the blood that was spilt and the body that was broken for our sins. So as you come forward here in the next couple of minutes, I want you to think about what God has done providing that sacrifice, that way of escape for us. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for providing for us. The Lord will provide. And thank you for that sacrifice, that eternal life that you offer to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your son's name.
shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over us for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? For it is Christ Jesus who died, who rose again, is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for the saints. Love God with an unfailing love, worship him and understand the sacrifice and devotion that's there. May the Lord bless you this week. Have a great week. We'll see you all on Saturday morning.